1: 630 Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630
0: Chad. Here's the snap to Riley as he drops back. Blue Chiefs looking for Everly. She's throwing, going to the end zone. Now McDavid walks in right
2: circle, back to Everly. Touchdown, Eskimo! One-timer score!
1: Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 630 champ.
0: It's the time of year when we ask that age-old question, what exactly is a red-black and Who left the cap locks on? Eskimos Ottawa coming up in the West Final on Sunday. We have a preview and we'll ask some questions about the Edmonton Oilers as well, such as, when are they going to score more than two goals in a game? When are they going to stop sleepwalking through the first period? And how will Jesse Pudu Yarvey do on a line with Connor McDavid? Because it appears those two will be on the same line tomorrow against the Dallas Stars as they finish the game last night against the Los Angeles Kings. Thank you very much for tuning in. I hope you have a great weekend lined up at 6.07. I'm Reed Wilkins. It's Inside Sports on 6.30. Chet. Before we get to the news of the day. Here's your NHL scoreboard. The Islanders have just scored to go up 2-1 on the Penguins early in the second period. No score early second between the Red Wings and the Caps. Canadians and Hurricanes scoreless late in the first. The Blue Jackets are up 1-0 on the Rangers in the second frame. Later on, Chicago plays at Calgary. And yes, everybody, you know what you have to do if you're an Oilers fan, and I'm assuming most of you are. You cheer against the team in the Pacific Division. I'm sure it's not going to be difficult for many of you to cheer against the Calgary Flames to begin with. The Oilers in the Pacific Division, which, let's face it, everybody, is the NHL's version of the CFL East. You have a bunch of teams uh, limping along, including the Edmonton Oilers. Anaheim playing a little better lately. San Jose had two opportunities this week to pass the Oilers in the standings. They lost both their games as the Oilers were losing their last two games. Uh, Calgary's won a couple in a row, but they did poorly uh, before that. Vancouver started well, have not been doing great since. Arizona uh, not doing great. And the LA Kings beating the Edmonton Oilers last night, but they're still below 500. So they're you know, the Oilers stay in a float in that division race despite their five-game losing streak. They have only dropped one spot in the division. They were first. They've dropped down to second. You want to talk Oilers, by the way, 780-496-0063. You can text 630-630. Since it is the Friday before a couple of CFL playoff games, it's that time of the year where we say you can just send your predictions. Just the Eskimos game, both games. Matthew and I will do ours a little bit later on. I'll read as many as I can. It's, it's fun to do that. And, of course, Matthew, the rule with predictions on this show, if you're right, our next Inside Sports is going to be when on Tuesday because we have an Oilers game on Monday. On Tuesday, we celebrate the correct predictions, if there are any, and the wrong ones just never happened just never happened we never we we don't remember them just didn't It just didn't happen shucks
2: i always thought the host or the producers of the show not the studio producer but the producers and the host bought the person that got it right dinner
0: that does not happen (laughs) it should (laughs) thanks for saying that matthew that's 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 great (laughs) uh well nobody from the eskimo predictions we had last week nobody got it right uh, I, I also tweeted this out. My mom said the Eskimos were going to beat Hamilton 40-15. My mother, a lifelong Edmonton Eskimos supporter. Uh, here, here's a funny little tidbit. I predicted the Eskimos would win 30-21. They won 24-21. If Kaoshi Mowamba, I mean, he picked off the lateral attempt, right, when Hamilton tried the trick play on the kickoff return. If he doesn't stumble... He scores, and the Eskimos probably don't bother kicking the convert and win 30-21. I was that close. I was that close to nailing the score. But the Eskimos won, so it doesn't matter. More Eskimos talk coming up after the 6.30 news. Dave Campbell will join us from Ottawa, where we might get a snowstorm during the game on Sunday afternoon. That'll be fun. Uh, Red Blacks quarterback Henry Burris will check in between 7 and 7.30. The Edmonton Oilers practiced today in Anaheim and then flew to Dallas. They will play the Stars tomorrow night. We'll have it for you on 6.30, shed 3.30 for the faceoff show, five o'clock for the drop of the puck, and head coach Todd McClellan with the update on today's practice.
1: Today was a tough day for the group because of the the timing of practice and the, the flight to Dallas. Uh, we were up quite early for for hockey players' world and uh, after a game, it's, uh, guys don't sleep that well, so they're, they're operating on uh, on fumes, and we didn't need to grind it out. We worked on fundamentals, skill development, um, plays in and around the net, um, so I thought it was good for our group. Hopefully it carries over into a game situation.
0: All right, well, working on plays in and around the net, obviously a priority for the Oilers. You know, it's funny, after last night's game, Todd McClellan says he's he's not too concerned about the lack of offense. He feels they are getting chances, which is kind of what I was saying a couple of games ago. Uh, now I'm feeling a little more concerned because this has gone on quite a while. And, you know, it's costing the Oilers games. Other things are costing the Oilers games as well. It's a bunch of stuff together. But the lack of offense and the lack of early offense continues to be a big problem. That first period last night, I mean, my goodness. Or. I was watching that and watching the Oilers play and thinking to myself, are you going to at least try to forecheck? I mean, maybe try to get the puck down low, maybe try to body check somebody. And this is the disappointing thing about about that game. And I I guess a further indication that the Oilers are just, you know, kind of still a middling team. I mean, I do think they are better than last year. I know there's a lot of concern about, here we go again. I don't think they're going to wind up in the bottom three in the league, like they have six out of the seven years. Uh, I think because of the roster and the weakness of the division, they can hang around in an interesting race for quite a long time. I'm still hopeful of that. Uh, but let's face it, this this unfortunately has the potential here to hit six or seven losses in a row, given the next two opponents, Dallas and Chicago, unless the Oilers start to take the first period a little more seriously. And unless they stop with some of the self-inflicted wounds. I mean, you shouldn't give up a breakaway goal seven seconds after a face-off in the other team's end on the power play, especially when you win the faceoff. I mean, I think that's a situation where the LA Kings simply outsmarted the Oilers off that draw. Carter and Tofoley immediately recognized the opportunity and took advantage of it. And, and a detail that was not taken care of by the Oilers, which is discouraging to see because they appeared to have been making some progress in the detail department. But back to the offense, I, I, I mean, just no forechecking at all against the LA Kings in the first period. But better in the second and third period. And part of that was a line of McDavid, Lucic, and Puglia started to click a little bit certainly a couple really good looks for Lucic in the third period wasn't able to finish them but it looks like those guys are going to be again together again tomorrow in Dallas here's head coach McClellan on Puliarve with number 97.
1: Well they were certainly dangerous after uh, we made the switch with different uh, you know to shuffle the deck a little bit they were dangerous Um, Jesse looked very confident In that situation, Um, he may or likely will get another chance there. Uh, All we're doing is looking for two to three lines. It can even click at both ends right now, uh, offensively and defensively, to get us a win and get some confidence back.
0: And I wonder, too, talking about having confidence back, I I wonder, too, McClellan came out with that comment last night saying he's not too concerned. He thinks the chances are there. I mean, I wonder if some of that is... It's, it's not the time to beat down the players about not scoring because you know it's now that this isn't two games. This is four and a half games, basically. They got three goals in the first 25 minutes against Pittsburgh, and they have six since, and they haven't won. So sometimes you do do that reverse thing. You're harder on the guys when they're winning and stress the details and, and maybe nurse them a little bit when they're not feeling good about themselves because, you know, you wonder, does, does it help at this point if Todd McClellan comes out publicly and says this is the worst group of finishers I've ever seen and I'm so mad that they never score and all we're going to work on is shooting practice and I'm just disgusted by the shooting. Does that make it any better when the players are probably already starting to feel that way about themselves, about being in a bit of a slump? 780-496-00638. You can text 630-630. You'll hear a little bit from Connor McDavid as well. It's 616. It's Inside Sports on 630 Chet.
1: You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins
0: on Edmonton Sports Leader. 630 Chen. The Edmonton Oil Kings in action tonight. They'll be visiting the Kootenai Ice. We'll update that one for you once it starts at 7 o'clock. Thanks a lot for tuning in. It is 620. It's Inside Sports on 630 Chet. I'm Reed Wilkins. Kevin jumping right into the prediction pool. We'll start with him for Sunday. He says Eskimos take it 24-15 over Ottawa. And he says the BC Lions pull off the upset over the Calgary Stampeders 31-24. I still think Calgary wins, but I think of the three remaining teams besides Calgary, BC has the best chance to beat them. Especially this weekend, they survived that difficult game against the Bombers. Calgary hasn't played a meaningful game in a while. And don't forget the Wally Buono factor. Sometimes the old coach just comes through. Sometimes he pulls the right strings. That's going to be a fun one. Going to be a fun Sunday. And, of course, we'll have the Esks and the Red Blacks on Sunday morning, 930, for the pregame show, 11 o'clock for the kickoff. All right, you can text 630-630. The phone number is 780-496-0063. The Big L has texted in. Always love to hear from the Big L who says, hey, Reid, it's month two of the second season for a new general manager, new coach, and some significant roster changes. The Oilers' leader is a phenom, but he's 19. After a decade of mismanagement, this team is not going to turn around this year. Other teams have been improving, while this organization stalled big time. There are going to be stretches where the Oilers face adversity and lose, but they are a better team. All the quitters relax and give them time. That is from the Big L. Well, here's here's the thing, and I made this point the other night too. The Oilers are nine, eight, and one. If they had got to that point by going win, loss, win, loss, win, loss, win, loss, win, loss, with the one one loss being in overtime, you'd probably feel different as opposed to winning seven of eight and now losing five in a row, and feeling like, oh my God, I've seen this before, where they have a stretch where they win twice in thirteen games and just fall so far completely out of anything. It's hopeless by whatever, pick whatever point in the first half of the season. Uh, and I understand why that that, uh, that is a fear to fans. I mean, I, I don't believe in moral victories. Certainly over the course of an 82-game season, you're going to lose close games. All the games the Oilers have lost over these last five have been close. It's not necessarily a good thing because winning close games, I don't think it's luck. I think, I mean, sometimes there might be a bouncer to involve, but I do think it's a skill To win close games. Getting the lead is a big part of that, and the Oilers have not done that in the last seven games. But I I do think there is something to be said that the losses are a little different. Except for the Buffalo game, there has not been a game where the Oilers, in my mind, have been totally dominated. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean losing is acceptable or a good thing, and you don't want to see them pile up. But But they are a more competitive team, and and certainly there have been some chances to tie some of these games or get points out of them over the five-game losing streak. But they just got to start finishing, and they got to – I mean, if you get a lead, you win – you should win two-thirds of the game. You score first in. Two-thirds. That's simple. Cal says – I hope that the guys don't get into the old negative mentality of the past. They need to get a couple of wins to start feeling a little bit more confident. The wins will come. Yeah, that's fair. And I mean there there are some new guys here who haven't been Oilers in the past and and haven't been through the miserable seasons, haven't been through it's December 1st and we're already so far out of the playoffs. And that's specifically why some of those guys were added like Maroon, like Lucic because they've been through ups and downs even in the playoffs i will say this for myself i have higher expectations for this team than i have teams of the past i mean a lot of times over the last few years you start talking more about individual stories or or young players who are coming along because you just know as a team they are overmatched so you know, you can't just sit there and and dump on a group of players that you know most nights just can't do it. I think the reason I'm saying these things about specifically the offensive play is that I feel this is a group of players who should be able to do it more often than they have been. I don't think it's acceptable for Benoit Pouliot to go 11 games without a point. Quite frankly, Exhibit A. We have Brian on the line. I wonder what he thinks. Hey, Brian.
2: You know, I, I've got to say, I do agree with you as far as, uh, you know, there, there's really no uh, reasonable explanation as to why the offensive players that we have, uh, you know, are slumping the way they are. I mean, McDavid's went that you know, so long without a goal, although he's getting the assists. assist, we had, like you just said. Nugent uh, Hopkins is another one. Uh, Amberly, uh, you know I listened to you last night, and and I've got to agree. He's got to start. He's got to start pulling some of these one-time you know triggers. Uh, uh, what, what I'd like to know what your view is. Uh, first off, uh, before I get to the main thing that I wanted to uh, get to was uh, as far as Kajula goes, how far away is he from coming coming back?
0: He's getting closer. He was out there practicing today. Uh, I, I would, uh, my guess would be. Probably by next weekend, he's probably in the AHL, and then he'll get some conditioning there. I don't think, I don't think he starts in the NHL.
2: The reason I ask is, personally, I, I, I really liked uh, Kajula, especially in the preseason, just for the fact that he did appear to be able to take off, you know, uh, do those uh, one-timers. Uh, he had a few of them during, during the exhibition. And uh, you know, I, I think he would be a really good fit personally with with McDavid. Cajula would be. I think so.
0: Interesting. Well, he can play winger, center, and I and I think he does have a good shot. I mean, we'll see how it does against NHL regular season goaltending. But but he seems to be willing to get it off, and it is, you know, it is frustrating. And it's not just Eberle. The Oilers have a bunch of guys. Who seem to want to, re- they're reluctant to one timer or they really like handling it before they shoot it?
2: Well, what I have a real problem with is they all they, they constantly, and every year it seems to be the same problem, they seem to want to be going for the pretty goal. You know, you, you just got to start taking those shots at the net. I, you know, who cares if it's a garbage bowl? Esposito was no, known all, his, all the years that he was at the Bruins as a garbage right. <laughs> pack look <laughs> That's how effective
0: he was well and he, and look at the goals last night i mean nurse just comes down and and takes a shot and i they should i thought they should have tested budai more like that last night oh absolutely and then Clef bomb's goal. I mean, Nugent Hopkins tried to center it, but you had some, was it Maroon in front? Goes off the guy who's trying to check Maroon, so the King the King defenseman can't clear it, and Clefbaum swoops in and scores. So, I mean, they, they have had the puck around the net, but yeah, I mean, you can never shoot enough, right? And they want to be a volume shooting team, absolutely.
2: A, a big sore spot, though, that I'm finding is their face-offs. They're, they've really got to improve, it, you know, on that face-off dot because uh, I mean, even last night, I mean, there was a few times they had the power play. They were in LA's end. LA wins the puck, shoots it down.
0: Well, and how many? Rob and I talked about this last night. I don't know if you stayed up because it was a late game. And Rob and I noticed how many times do the Oilers win the draw and then not maintain the puck.
2: Well, there's lots of those
0: times. Right, and that's that's as bad as losing the. I mean, if you win it, you should be able to do do something with it. And, and again, it's another detail that has has slipped out of their game. So I don't know if it's if it's probably a little confidence. I think they are gripping it a little tight and maybe starting to overthink a little bit. Anyway, before I let you go, Brian, who wins on Sunday? Uh,
2: you know what? I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna say Edmonton's gonna finally do it uh, in the Big D.
0: All right. Thanks, buddy. I'm,
2: I'm, gonna, I'm gonna say score a three to
0: one. Okay, perfect. Thanks, Brian. 780 six We'll go to Ottawa, see what's going on with the Eskimos as they're getting set to face the Red Blacks. It's Inside Sports on Chad.
2: You're listening to 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins.
0: standing by, we'll bring him in in a minute or two here just want to read a couple of texts that came in during the news break, Shane says this is the Oilers stuff, would be nice to see someone set up the captain for once well you know what Shane, that's a great point that is a great point, it's not it's not only Connor McDavid's job to get the puck to other people, and I mean and that, and that gets back to, to my criticism of the team for how poorly they forechecked in the first period last night you know, I mean, I know, I know McDavid's fast. I know most times he's going to carry it through the neutral zone, but once it gets inside the line there, uh, I mean, it can't just all be, let's just wait for McDavid to circle around and make a play and get it to us. There, I, I, I think, you know, I, I don't know. I think there's, there's got to be that mentality where everybody still has to dig for the puck, you know, and have that, that grind mentality. Where regardless of who we're on the ice with, we got to play that straight line hockey. Get it below the icing line, grind it out because because the Oilers can do that better than they've they've done it in recent years. I mean, I'm not going to tell you that they're you know the L.A. Kings teams of three years ago that could play the whole game like that, but they have they have players more suited to do that, and. You know, everybody you know, the, the people say, well, it must be easy to play with McDavid because he's so talented you just have to get open. Well, but are, are, here's here's a question for everybody. Are, are guys are guys getting away from their strengths because they're playing with McDavid? Are they thinking like, okay, I can snipe so I'm just gonna have to get open? Or should you be like, no, I just have to do the same things, play basic checking straight line to the net hockey and then McDavid's skill is a bonus on top of that. Because, yeah, I mean, he hasn't scored in 10 games. Is that because he's not finishing or because maybe his line mates aren't getting him the puck in scoring situations enough? I think it's worth thinking about. Jarrett says, read on one-timers, what separates the best one-timers in history Brett Hall and Medano is the ability to take a bullet pass. Ovechkin only handles soft or medium passes, can't handle hard. The goalie has time to anticipate and get across. Hall was amazing to adjust his body to one time, or he would drop to a knee and tight choking up on his stick. That's from Jared. Fair comment. Now, I think also fair, Jared, to point out that... um, I mean, I don't know if we want to compare the Oilers' lack of one-timers to Brett Hall because that was one of the best guys all time at doing it. But, I mean, one-time it or get it off quick. And even that chance Lucic had in the third period where McDavid got it to him in the high slot, it wasn't in a good position to, 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 to one-time it, like with a slap. But I thought he did a good job, you know, sweeping the puck and getting it off his stick quickly. And he almost beat Budai on that one. So one-time or a quick, you know, kind of one-touch wrist release... Um, but, you know, I know Everly is the poster boy for the frustration with that. But other guys do it, too, where you think, OK, he might have time just to get a quick shot away. There's a delay. And then and then the defense sets up. Now, obviously, not everybody's going to be uh, the, the pass does make a difference. Not everybody is going to be as good as Hall as making a scoring opportunity out of a mediocre pass. But again, I mean this. This is a this is an ongoing theme with the orders with the the one time slash quick shot problem. That it's something we'll keep watching, especially if the goals aren't going in like they haven't been. It's six forty. Quick update on the NHL scoreboard: no goals yet between the Canadians and the Hurricanes there in the second period. Columbus up two one on the Rangers after two late in the second period. Zero, 0 Red Wings and Capitals. Penguins and Islanders are 2-2 two, two, late in the second frame. Blackhawks and Flames still to come tonight. By the way, the Raptors playing Denver. That one tips off in a few minutes. Eskimos and Red Blacks on Sunday. Eskimos analyst Dave Campbell is in Ottawa. Dave, how are you doing, buddy?
3: I'm well. I'm well. And uh, Morley says hello. And uh, George Montajon on Post Media says hello as well. Just riding up the elevator with them. I literally just walked into my room when you said hello, Dave.
0: Oh, well, I'm glad you're back at your hotel, safe and sound. I don't want you out too late on a Friday night in Ottawa. That's how a young man like you can get into trouble.
3: Uh, yeah, this, this is true. This is true. I, I like to uh, get myself into trouble, smash bars and hotel rooms. So, you know, <laughs> oh, I'm in a hotel room. I'm
0: screwed now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. So back in Ottawa, I saw you. Did you guys go to Parliament Hill today? We did. Yeah, we walked past Parliament Hill on our
3: way to our... Uh, our dinner spot and uh looks it, you know I, i've never been in ottawa at this time of the year uh the two previous times or the three well three i guess uh because they've been in the league since 2014 it's all been in the summer uh, and it's been really hot humid here and you've heard me whine about the humidity out here in eastern canada which could can be brutal uh but it, it's really nice nice comfortable weather it's the calm before the storm here but uh Parliament hill looks great at night
0: All right, the calm before the storm, and you mean that literally. The the latest weather I saw was 15 centimeters of snow by Monday, not on Sunday by Monday. But I understand pretty good chance it starts during the game on Sunday, or will have just started.
3: 90 percent chance of mixed precipitation is what the forecast is now uh, during the day. Now, I haven't seen the hour by hour yet because we're not that you know we're not we're still a bit away from the game, but. Um, You know, and throughout the week, it was light rain. It was 60% chance, then it was 80, now it's 90, and now they're throwing in mixed precipitation. So, you know, so, I mean, I'm just kind of wondering what kind of game we're going to have now. I think it depends on how hard it rains. Does it, it, you know, does the snow pick up? Does it start to accumulate a little earlier than first thought? So I, I, I think we have... You know different variables that could happen during out the during the game. You know we could have a game where, you know the conditions are still good enough where both teams can pass the football, or we may have conditions where it's going to be the ground game that's going to you know carry the team, uh, like the uh, ground game carried the Eskimos in the Eastern Semifinal uh, last week against Hamilton because that wind was so prominent at Tim Horton's Field. So how bad will that rain be? That that rain snow mix, and we won't know until game time.
0: You know, it's, it's a really interesting point with bad weather because a lot of people think, and I'm not saying they're wrong because you can find tons of examples, but there's, there's an automatic assumption, okay, bad weather, low-scoring game, run the ball. But you and I have both seen big offensive performances in bad weather. Eddie Brown's catch... A high-scoring 96 Grey Cup game that was snow in Hamilton, right? The uh, the 94 West final was a classic between and, or between BC and Calgary where it snowed. I know I'm going back a little bit, but those were the first two that came into my mind, and that's that's what interests me. I mean, yeah, it's easy to say, okay, it's snowing, so they're going to run the ball. But then I'm thinking, well, you know, if the if the quarterback can still grip the ball well enough to throw, and it's not too windy and it gets a little slick or it's a little uncomfortable, well, now you have defensive players who might get tentative. Now you might yeah. have defensive players who are going to sag back because they yeah. don't, you know, or who might slip or who might be, uh, you know, susceptible to receivers making cuts. So that that's the interesting thing to me, Dave. I don't know if bad weather automatically equals running and a 12-11 game, you know what I mean? Yeah, and
3: sometimes it does, but often, yeah, I mean, it doesn't it doesn't happen and you do have high scoring games and you know when you mentioned the receivers against a defensive back the receiver is at the advantage always because the receiver knows where he's going the defensive back doesn't know where the receiver is going so you could see slips by defensive back you could, of course see slips by receivers but um now i'm thinking of the game in 1996 or yeah 1996 at edmonton the uh the Western semifinal against the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. I think that was Ken Austin's last game in the in the CFL, and it was like sixty eight to seven. Or oh, that's like that. right. Yeah, yeah. So you, you just never know how it's going to play out. But you know, the I know there is some people that don't like weather games. Sometimes I don't like weather games. Uh, I think I don't like wind games more than uh, you know rain or snow because it seems like in rain or snow you can still move the football. Where in wind games it's really hard to move the football you know, with or against the wind. So, uh, you know, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how the teams react to the weather, whatever it is, because these are two offenses, especially in the Eskimos Red Blacks, that like to throw the ball through the air. They like to run the ball, but these are two very dangerous passing attacks, and they're going to want to try and get both, you know, both sides are going to want to get their, their passing attack unleashed no matter what the weather is.
0: All right, so let's get, get into some of the specifics of the game. You, you know how I feel about the Eskimo secondary. It still worries me, um, though you know there has been a little bit of stability here in the second half of the season. What, Which guys do you think are going to be challenged by which Ottawa receivers when it comes down to the matchups on Sunday? Marcel
3: Young against Ernest Jackson. That is the matchup that I think worries me the most. Because Marcel Young gets targeted a ton in the Eskimo secondary, and Ernest Jackson is the Eastern MOP, uh, and he's had a great year, over 1,200 yards uh, receiving, and you know he's a very physical defender. And Marcel Young has struggled against a lot of receivers, but he is a very physical uh, receiver. As Ernest Jackson, I remember you know the game in uh, BC not too long ago. Uh, Marcel Young had a lot of trouble against Manny Arsenal, so. You know, Ernest Jackson is someone that uh, he likes to fight for yardage, and Marcel Young is someone that, unfortunately, just, you know, has trouble tracking receivers, has trouble tracking where the football is, has trouble, you know, getting jams on receivers when, you know, he's allowed to do it within that five-yard zone. Uh, So that's the matchup I worry about. And that's probably the only matchup where I go in the secondary. That is a red flag right there. The rest of the matchups, you know, you look at Pat Watkins against Khalil Payton. That would, that would be Pat Watkins against Chris Williams, but Chris Williams is hurt, uh, so Pat Watkins doesn't have to worry about that. But when you look on the other side of the field, on the, on the wide side, you've got Brad Sinopoli up against the nickelback Kenny Ladler. That is going to be a very, very good matchup to watch. And what about this matchup? Greg Ellingson against Brandon Thompson. Brandon Thompson was not in the lineup in the first two meetings against the Red Blacks. He is a former Red Black. He knows this offense very, very well and these receivers. That's a matchup I'm watching uh, as far as, you know, not a matchup where I'm worried like Marcel Young up against Ernest Jackson, but I think this is going to be a juicy matchup when you have Ellington up against Brandon Thompson.
0: Esco's analyst Dave Campbell joining us inside sports on 630. Chad, we have the East final with coverage starting at 9.30 a.m. on Sunday. The game will kick off at 11.00. Look, the Mike Riley uh, health story uh, appears to be a bit of a, a non-story, but, uh, I mean, it seems to me th- the Eskimos might be as healthy as they've been all year at, at, at the end of the year. Are there any major uh, holes because of injuries for the Eskimos? You
3: know, I, I don't think I would see a, a major hole on their roster right now uh, because the, the people who have filled in for for the injuries have been dynamite. I mean, Tony Washington, who's a good friend of the show, um, I I don't know if he's going to play tomorrow. He did practice uh, this week, uh, practice on Wednesday. didn't see the Thursday practice because it was closed and we were traveling today. So, um, But Joel Figueroa has come in and played really well at left tackle. And I think he is, you know, when, when I look at his play compared to Tony Washington, I can't recall anybody getting by Joel Figueroa where Tony Washington hasn't had as good of a season as he did in 2015 or 2014, but especially last season. So um, I, I expect Figueroa is going to be the left tackle. I think Calvin McCarthy gets into the lineup, and that's going to be a big addition to, to the team. Aaron Milton was placed on the one-game injury list, and to me that would pave the way for Calvin McCarty, who was taking first-team reps this week in practice, and uh, I would expect that he's going to get back into the lineup. And I don't think Nate Kuhorn's going to play, but they, you know, they, they are pretty pretty good at receiver and you know especially the first three receivers in bowman walker and Zilstra. zylstra that you got uh, gets and watson as your fourth and fifth so um as far as injuries go they don't really have a lot of injuries that would be really concerning and that includes their quarterback mike rally who's good to go and he's going to start
0: well, Dave, uh, it, it's it's going to be fun. Uh, certainly a bit of a rivalry between these two teams, given last year's Grey Cup matchup. And, you know, the Eskimos wouldn't let them saw the logs after the touchdowns. And now that log is sitting in Len Rhodes' office. And then they had the overtime game and another close game uh, when they met the second time this year in Ottawa. So uh, it's going to be fun. So you guys are going to be filing stuff and have stuff on 630chad.com tomorrow from the last walkthrough?
3: absolutely there's going to be uh, you know busy day again tomorrow with all the press conferences and the walkthroughs and uh you know and, and you're right about the rivalry these two teams do not like each other at all this, this is uh you know to me this is uh comparable to the eskimos alouettes rivalry when you talk about the east west or east west rivalry um this is right up there with uh with eskimos alouettes so these two teams cannot stand each other and it makes for interesting storylines going into the East Final Sunday, and who knows what kind of weather we're going to get.
0: Well, Dave, I will say this. I hope I don't see you for another week and a half, because I know you guys are staying out east if the Eskimos win, so enjoy the East Final, and uh, hopefully a week in Southern Ontario after that. I hope you get your wish, Reid. That is Dave Cavill checking in tonight. He's also the producer of this show with the Edmonton Eskimos in Ottawa. Morley Scott there as well. And as I mentioned, they'll have the game starting on nine thirty, uh, starting at nine thirty in the morning here on six thirty. Chet, you can text six thirty, six thirty. The phone number is seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three and that really is the biggest concern in my mind for the Eskimos going into that game is their secondary against the receivers. Now, Chris Williams is out. They still have three guys who racked up over 1,000 yards this season. Henry Burris will be their quarterback. He's going to join us after the 7 o'clock news. It's Inside Sports on (music) Chet. You're listening to 6.30 Ched
2: Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins.
0: Okay, it's 6.55. Just uh, some Oilers notes today. Make sure I got everything in. I mentioned that... uh Yarve likely to stay with Connor McDavid when they play in Dallas tomorrow. Matt Hendricks very likely to return. He has not played a game this season. He was hurt in the preseason. And defenseman Chris Russell potentially able to go against Dallas tomorrow. They have sent uh, defenseman Dylan Simpson back down to Bakersfield of the American Hockey League. They have a game coming up tomorrow night. And we'll hear from uh, the Condors' Taylor Beck who's been tearing it up with the Condors this season. And Anton Lander placed on waivers so it doesn't necessarily mean that he would be assigned to the AHL but they'll have the option to do that if Anton Lander is not claimed and, and again that's that's tough for Anton Lander looked like he'd, he'd found a little bit of a spot didn't get to play last night against the LA Kings and uh, and now put on waivers so I guess uh, the McClellan Shielli regime still sort of sees him as a as a borderline NHLer 780-496-0063, you can text 630-630, email inside Sports at 630 chetcom Oilers and Stars tomorrow, 3.30 face-off show, 5 o'clock, drop of the puck, all here on 630 Chet. We'll go back to Ottawa after the news. It is the man I'm sure many of you love to hate, good old smiling Hank. Ottawa quarterback Henry Burris when we return.